0: are you ready to get the support you need for your author career and life join international indie bestseller angela j ford and fantasy author stephanie Wabwa as they talk all things writing publishing and the real life of an indie author welcome to the indie author lifestyle show living your best indie life starts here
1: hello And welcome to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. We are here with episode 27 and we have an amazing interview with author Andy Pelokin coming up. But first of all, Stephanie, how has your week been? How's writing coming?
0: Hey, Angela and everyone else. How are you guys? So writing has been good. Um, I did, you know, it's interesting because the last time we talked to you guys, I I did mention that I was in a bit of like a writing slump. I was writing, but very slow. I was like just plodding along, but writing's been good. Um, I have been diving into my serial, which is really, really fun because she's a character that... Is just moody and like angry with the world, but she has a lot of power, so she's very destructive. (laughs) And so that's just really fun because, like, I get to just explore a character that just does anything at the whim of their emotions without like really thinking about the consequences until it's too late and it's great so I've been having a lot of fun with that and of course writing Seraphim book two which you know that will take a little bit of time just because it is a deeper novel it's no longer the little baby novella that I was praying it would turn out to be so I'm just letting that take its course as it goes along but yeah I've been having fun writing this serial and just diving into an angelic storm elemental which i I've never read such a thing, so like writing it is almost like discovering a new world, and it's really, really fun. So I've been enjoying that and just taking my sweet time with it, finding the joys of writing once again. You know, we go through these lulls where you're, you know, you do it out of discipline, you do it when you're tired, but then you get back to where you're like doing it out of inspiration and motivation. And so, like, I'm getting back to those days, which is really fun. So, what about you, Angela? What have you going on in your writing camp?
1: Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun, especially that character and just like, oh gosh, I can imagine all the trouble that she gets into just because she sounds wild. And that must be so fun to write and i just figure out the situations that she gets into. I am working on the tail end of faded. I'm almost done. Um, I have an editor lined up next week, so she's gonna want to see it. I might push it back an extra week just to give myself more time to like sit with it and kind of like think through some of my scenes, but it's going really well, I'm really enjoying it. I've added some extra elements into the story that I didn't realize until I was doing like my second go round of it. And I was like, ooh, it'll be really fun to put this stuff in here. So that's going well. And then once I get done, I get to switch over to writing Realm of Rulers, which is book four in the Legend of the Nameless One series. And that one is due out in August. And so I'm really excited to write it because it focuses on the underwater world. So I'm really excited to go under the sea and deal with the creatures there. So lots of fun things going on there. And it's been a really fun writing period. Uh, It's nice to kind of take my time and really figure out what exactly I want to say and just have fun with it as we should.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree, which is why, you know, I was like, I need to get back there. I need to get back to just the fun of it. Because I feel like when you're just writing out of the duty of it, not that the words are terrible, but it's like you're missing something, you know, like you're missing that joyful element that we should have when we're creating art And so like getting back there is just really fun because writing is fun. I mean, like you're making up, especially if you're a fantasy writer. I mean, let's just be honest. You're making stuff up all the time and it's great. And so just being able to like string all of that together is just really awesome. And, you know, we talk a lot about that with Andy and he dives into just his process of like how he comes up with his stories and also like make sure he keeps having fun, you know, like nothing's worse than like being bored when you're writing, you know what I mean? And so um, I think this conversation is going to be really awesome. It's super jam packed with so much value. I hope you have a notebook and a pen because I mean, truly, there's just a lot to take away away from it. So I'm really excited about today's interview.
1: Before we get started talking on today's topic, here's a word about our Indie Author Lifestyle Workshops. Workshops are designed for career authors who want in-depth training on certain topics to help you take your career to the next level.
0: Join us each month to dig into writing, publishing, and book marketing strategies for only $27.99. Plus, get access to the exclusive community. Find out our topic of the month by going to indieauthorlifestyle.com forward slash workshops. Now, back to our episode.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. Today, we have a very special guest, Andy Pilokin. First and foremost, he is a storyteller and an artist. Words are his palette. Fantasy and science fiction are his genres of choice, and he loves to explore the darker side of human nature through the filters of heroes, villains, and everything in between. He's also a freelance writer, a book lover, and a guy who just loves to meet new people and spend hours talking about his fascination for the worlds he encounters in the pages of fantasy and science fiction novels, which... It's really awesome because that's what we're going to talk about today. So I love this last part. Um, Speculative fiction provides us with an escape, a way to forget about our mundane problems and step into worlds where anything is possible. It transcends age, gender, religion, race, our lifestyle, and it is our way of believing what cannot be, delving into the unknowable and discovering hidden truths about ourselves and our worlds in a brand new way. Fiction at its very best. Andy welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I will try to sound as intelligent as my as my bio makes me sound.
1: (laughs) Ah. Yeah that just that just elevated it. You sounded so wise. I was like oh I just want to learn from him.
2: (laughs) I kind of I kind of wrote that like after a lot of coffee and I was like man this is probably the the most intelligent sounding thing I'll ever write so you know got that going for me at least.
1: Yeah, it's like a mission statement or a memento or something that you know you you write down and you scroll and carry around with you. And people ask, you know, what is the meaning of life to you? You hand that out. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, you know, when I when I when I started writing, writing was all about, you know, like the action and the stories and like the fun stuff, you know, which I think a lot of people get into writing for being able to tell those fun stories. But then as I was going through the creation process, I realized that 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 as much fun as I had with that, it was the the diving deep and exploring sort of the hidden darkness within all of us that really appealed to me the most. And so, you know, no no matter how bright the story is, it could be, you know, heroic fantasy, but being able to show sort of the other side of things is really what drives me to tell the best stories I can.
0: You know, I absolutely love that. And so I just want to know, like, what got you into writing, right? Like, what got you into writing and got you into the indie author vein? Because, you know, as you know, as creative people, we can go so many routes. So what made you choose writing and specifically choosing to want to be an indie author?
2: So I come from a super artistic family. My dad's a musician, my mom is a writer. Uh, I have three or four artists in the family. My brother is going to university for 3D animation, you know, web designers. Like everybody in my family is super artistic and I can't draw, I mean, I draw a pretty mean stick figure, let's be honest, but, but other than that, like I have no artistic talent. And then in, in elementary school, uh, I think it was about 10 or 11, I had this teacher who was just crazy passionate about the arts and sciences. And so he would, like, we would leave the classroom and go on, like, two or three hour walks into nature. um, And he would be like, all right, find something to write. Um, I was living in Japan to write a haiku about. And, you know, it was just like, it was the most eclectic education that I've ever heard of. But it really inspired me to do that kind of thing. And I, I found that I really liked it and I was good at it. And I think I kind of wrote off and on for the elementary years, just, you know, the the sort of school assignments. And then when I was, I think, 16. I had tons of free time, as most teenagers do, and no internet connection. This was before the days when everybody had the internet. So I had Microsoft Paint and Microsoft Word on the computer. You know, My parents didn't let me play any video games, so I really didn't have any choice. It was like, spend time trying to draw and failing miserably, or let's see what I could come up with. So I started writing this story that was like... James Bond meets Jason Bourne meets the Fast and the Furious and it was like it started out with like snowmobile chases with you know machine guns and karate just like every every teenage boy's shitty shitty fantasy story you know but it was really really fun I think I got like five chapters in realized how how hot garbage this was and deleted the whole thing (laughs) um but then I, I realized that I had fun doing that because for those hours that I was working on it, it just, I stopped thinking about whatever else was going on around me. So I kind of kept up with it off and on till I was about 19. And then, you know, life got in the way. But I'd written a few pieces uh, during my early 20s, including one that came up at uh, Halloween. It was like two o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep. And I just had this image of a bunch of like hooded figures standing around a child, bound to an altar and it was just like I got out of bed I sat down at my computer hour and a half wrote this thing out it's it still gives me the shivers to this day to read it
0: and shivers just thinking about it
2: (laughs) it's it's this dark like horribly dark piece but like the 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 ambiance is super dark and of course the story itself is is fairly dark but then I wrote that when I was I think uh 20 And then when I was in my mid-20s, a friend of mine was starting a publishing company for comic books. And I sent it to her and she was like, holy shit, I want to do something with this. So I think I was about 25 going on 26 at the time. And I was like, all right, now if I wrote this five years ago and she loved it, now let's see what I could do now. And so I sat down, I was on a trip to visit my brothers in Vancouver. And I spent, um, I think it was a total about, uh, Ten hours throughout the course of the trip, you know, uh, on the flight there, on the flight back, new coffee shops here and there, writing a graphic novel script. Uh, it's basically like 300, where all of these people are marching to their death. It's called the Last March of the 5th, the Thirteenth Rifles, and and it was so much fun because it was this badass story where everybody ends up dead, and so it was like, all right, how can I kill all of these characters off in creative ways? And, and I loved it. And so from then on, I was just totally hooked.
1: That's amazing. And I like all the imagination that comes together from all of those stories. And so what kind of led you down the path towards writing dark fantasy or more like grim dark? Like I know you like a lot of action because I've read a few of your books. Um, but what made you especially kind of choose the, the darker side?
2: You know, I think it's there's always been the fascination for me in that side of like the society. Like some of my favorite books are the Night Angel series by Brent Weeks, which is an assassin, um, Lies of Locke Lamora, which is con artists, whatever if it's thieves, bounty hunters, you know, highwaymen, any anybody who's on the wrong side of the law, those stories are just so much more fun. They get they get to do all the fun stuff. They're the blondes of the fantasy world, let's say. <laughs> um but so they they get away with doing a lot of stuff so you can have a lot more violence a lot more action a lot more decisions that come down to who they are and what they're facing right now like if you've got a knight who has trained his entire life and has followed you know whatever the fantasy version of scriptures are and who's been taught the way of good and righteousness his whole life yeah of course he's going to make the right choice you know duh it's it's what he's been trained his whole life to do now give me somebody who's had a shit life who's been you know who's been living on the street who's been making the hard choices who has had to fend for themselves now put them in that situation where they have to make the choice all of a sudden it becomes a lot more interesting so for me that was that was what i wanted to read these sharp contrasts where you have amazing good human people in the middle of horrible situations or you have terrible people who live in, you know, in palaces and gilded mansions and things like that. So I really like playing with that, with those contrasting elements. And
0: I love that you talked about that, because I know that that's something that you do with your podcast, where you guys, where y'all basically bring up the different aspects of human nature, right? Like so many things make up us as individuals, politics, religion, on and on and on. And so what is it about that, that like you want to highlight in your stories, right? Like when it comes to just humanity and how we deal with the different aspects of life that make us who we are, you know, like what is it about that that wants you to bring that into your stories and how do you do that, especially through the lens of darker fantasy and fiction?
2: So i the first half is, is a little bit easier to answer. Um, the I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome about four or five years ago, uh, for one of the autism spectrum disorders. And so when I got that diagnosis, I was like, okay, I've got to understand what this is. What is affecting my brain? So I did a lot of research into it. And then I was, as I came to understand it, I was like, wow, if, if this is affecting my brain this way and my perspective of the world and my emotions and my reactions and all that, what other things are other people sort of affected by that they may not realize or uh you know things like PTSD trauma shapes your brain in a way that you have no idea until it comes up later so all of these things it's almost like like i felt like i was a victim in my own life and i wanted to understand it and sort of take the power and that sounds that sounds wrong but it it, it sort of it's how i see a lot of people who like PTSD sufferers. They don't know what's happening until someone says, oh, this is PTSD. And then it's like, whoa, it makes perfect sense. And so when I started going down that rabbit hole of psychology and neurology and you know, emotional disorders, mental disorders, all of these things, it just opened up this fascinating world for me. And so every time that I write a new character or a new story, there's always something in it that interests me about them Um, in the silent champion series it's this character who is uh, who's lost all of the men under his command he can no longer fight in the army because his shield arm you know like a roman soldier his shield arm is broken so he's got to find some other way to fight that for me it's like what kind of story could that create when someone has to go through something like that, and then dealing with the the, the burden of the world believing he 's dead and having to sacrifice his you know his family, his wife and children think he 's dead, having to make the sacrifice every single day for me, that was what drove me to the story just as much as the fact that i 've got six badass soldiers taking on massive armies so for me it's, it's, I always find this this connection with the characters that I'm writing. And then their story just kind of evolves based on who they are.
1: Wow, that that's amazing. Now, uh, I like the, the whole character side of it. And I think that's one of the things that's really relatable about your books. Like knowing that I'm gonna get a lot of action and adventure and that's gonna be really fun. But then also not really knowing what to expect when it comes to the characters, but being able to empathize with them and what they're going through. Uh, but then also not knowing to expect, like, are they going to do something good? Are they going to make the right choice? Are they going to change their minds? So I think that's what makes it super exciting to to read your books. And you have, wow, you have so many books out
2: now. I've I lost count. <laughs> it's 24. Wow. 25 and 26 coming out next month.
1: That's amazing. That's so exciting. So how do you keep, like, this like you have a good pace of like writing your stories and releasing them. What's kind of your process for writing and making sure you stay on schedule with all the things you have going on? So
2: I kind of divide, like I I get my business stuff out of the way on sort of Monday and Tuesday mornings so that Monday, Tuesday afternoon, and then kind of all day, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I can sit down and just write stories. Like that's my sole focus for those times. So I get about 30 to 40,000 words a week because I've got that that time focus. But I've also got the stories fairly outlined before I sit down to write. I am a lot a bit of um of a plotter because I like to have an outline so I know where things are going. Well done, Stephanie. I I see you there. <laughs> um I hate I hate being blindsided by something that I should have seen coming beforehand. At the other time, I love being surprised by something that just hits me out a left field, and it's like, okay, how can I adjust and adapt to make this amazingly cool element work it into my story and make the story improve by that? So having an outline, it gives me that confidence to move forward knowing where my stories are going and where the series is going. Like, I usually outline a whole series, you know, a, a, a fairly – rough outline, let's say, but the story, you know, the highs and lows, the, the book ends, the, the themes of the story. And then when I sit down to write, the story evolves on its own. And so I have to sort of adapt the outlines as I go, but I know where I want to go with each of the stories. So I can just sit down and just start hammering away at those keys and, you know, and see where things take me.
0: Can we talk about the, like, logistics of that, though? Because some people would hear that and they'd be like, ho oh, sounds so easy. Can't do that. I've been staring at a book <laughs> for three hours. So, like, how, what does that look like, right? Like, sitting down and actually ironing out an entire series? Because some people struggle with ironing out a book. So, yeah. tell us, like, how do you break down your series and then, like, iron it out into different books and then just, like, break down, you know, like, the themes and all of that?
2: Okay, well, let's, the the series that I'm working on now is a 12-book series. It's science fiction um paraplegic recovering drug addict former sniper turned government hitman it's, again, wow. it's got, it's got, <laughs> you got drug addiction, you got paraplegia, you got technology, you got all kinds of fun stuff in there, which you know, for me is really what makes the, the story, is this character. So I knew from the beginning that I wanted an assassin, right, because I love assassins and I couldn't write another one in fantasy. So I had to jump to sci-fi to make it work. <laughs> um, but then I had been playing, I'd been doing a lot of research talking to a former sniper and getting information to write my military fantasy series. And when I had come to the end of that, I was like, all right, this, I want to do something with all of this stuff. Uh, And so just the idea of playing with a sniper, assassin, hella fun, you know? And then from there, the the character kind of evolved. Well, why isn't he in the military now? He got kicked out of the military, not kicked out, meted out, because he got an injury to his spine, so he can't move his legs. Okay, how does, how do I do that? Okay, then he's got an AI in his brain that moves sort of like an Iron Man-style suit of armor. So he can move when he's in the arm room, when he's out, he's in a wheelchair. We get this, you know, this really interesting balance. And then slowly the story evolves until, you know, you've, you've crafted this super interesting opening of this guy, this snapshot into his life. And then you kind of have to figure out, okay, what kind of things would be interesting for me to play with. So I knew I wanted to do a bunch of matchups. Like basically every book is a matchup of him versus someone else. The one I just finished writing now was him versus Corrupt Cops. You know, he's an assassin. He works for the government, but cops are kind of on the same side. So it's this sort of gray area: who can he kill? Who can he not kill? It's fun, right? The one I'm going to work on next is sniper versus sniper. Another guy, basically another sniper from his uh, unit, wants to take his shot at the title of the best sniper in the the elite forces. So there's sniper versus sniper. That's a fun thing that you don't get to see often. Um, the one before that was someone he's got. Uh, he's uh, paraplegic and he's facing off against someone who had four of their limbs amputated and replaced by uh sort of bionic limbs. And so every one of these books is a matchup. So I, I sat down and I was like, okay, what kind of matchups do I want to throw at this character? I know I want to do, um, you know, sort of a, him against AI versus AI. I wanted to do one of him where he's going up against another assassin, not necessarily a sniper, just someone else who kills for a living. So all of these things, it was really fun to to sit down and say, okay, here are all the matchups. And then once I had those matchups, it was 12 of them. And I was like, all right, now let's put this into books. So the first book that I wrote, you know, was him versus sort of low level drug dealers and just sort of introducing the world. And then after I did that, it was like, okay, now let's give me more about the character. My second book always ends up really diving deep into the characters. Um, in the, the Dark Blade Assassin series, the Dark Blade Assassin, you know, big action pack, killing, the second book, so much of it takes place like inside of his head. And so every, every book two kind of ends up being that way. So I wanted to send him home. So he goes back to his home planet and there's all the adventures there. Uh, and then it was him versus his past. You know, his parents got killed in a car accident. Uh, he had someone who was just horrible to him who also ended up joining the military and sort of serving alongside him. And so then I, I got all these matchups and the story just kind of evolved as I sat down and said, okay, what can I do next? You know, which which matchup would go best next based on um, what has happened in book one and then in book two. And so right now I've got the, up to book six outlined like, clearly the story outlined. And then I've got the matchups for the remaining six books that when I start working or when I finish writing book six, which I'm going to start next week, um, I will say, okay, now the story has evolved over the course of these six books. Here's the surprises that I threw at him. Here's the things that I need to keep bringing in or bring back or enemies that have got to pop up. And so then I'll uh, outline the next six books to have that big climactic ending. But this is the first time that I've ever done this many, before it's only, I've only ever done um, five books. That's the max that I've outlined at a time.
1: <laughs> I'm impressed, that, that's really fun. But the thing I really like about just hearing you talk about your process and going through is how much fun it is for you. Like it's, it's just easy to tell that it's exciting, it's something you're passionate about and it's fun which is, I mean, honestly, how I think writing should be. If it's, you know, you're kind of slogging through mud, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. Uh, But how do you keep that, like, what do you do to kind of keep the surprises and keep you excited with your stories? Because you've written so many different stories. Like, you can almost feel like, well, maybe I have exhausted my ideals. Or how do you keep coming up with, like, more and more new things?
2: By always doing something new. So my first series was... You know, cisgender, male, pretty easy, right? You know, guy like me, I could write that. He's a little bit older. Um, he's immortal. So, you know, there's some fun, some fun things to play with. He doesn't have the same morals, right? Second character that I wrote, uh, the Queen of Thieves series is a girl how am i supposed to do that you know so there's a lot of research went into that and then the third series was younger characters uh you know 16 17 18 i don't know anything about that all right let's do some research let's understand that and then there's a soldier i know nothing about being a soldier my idea of of being a soldier is you know playing call of duty uh you know like that's that's the extent of my experience so then then so every new character has something new that that interests me about them the fact that i get to play with um with the the themes of drug addiction or paraplegics uh things like that being able to do these things through the through the story that's what keeps me interested every time i find some new way to develop uh the main character or the side characters in an interesting way that is what keeps me engaged and really that i think for me that's what that's what makes me always be thinking about what comes next because I've got all these amazing story ideas, but the characters just haven't solidified to the point where it's like, okay, this is something that I really want to sink my teeth into and spend, you know, like this 12 book series is going to easily pass a million words by the time it's done. So that's a long time. That's that's about a year, maybe a little more than a year for me to uh to spend living in this character's head. So I've got to have there's got to be that connection with the character. For me to keep going.
1: Yeah. And obviously this is something that you do full time. So that that kind of like opens up doors and gives you a little bit more time to just like spin, just immersing yourself in it. And I've been reading your Queen of Thieves series, which I've been really enjoying. Um, and one of the things that I can tell just from being like a nosy writer <laughs> and reading is the fact that you do so much research. Like when you were talking about how she was picking the locks or learning how to pick pockets or like steal the purse bag and just the way you described it and like the things she had to do, I was like, I feel like you just really researched this. And I feel like if I put, apply these techniques, I can go like start pickpocketing people because I've seen this. All right, <laughs> let me figure out how to unlock doors.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, so much research goes into it. Um, are you still on book one? I am. Yes. Okay. So book one was pretty much, it was a lot more straightforward in the sense that it was, you know, a younger character. So there wasn't as much complexity to her. But by the end of book one, a lot of things have happened that going into books two and three makes her a very, very incredibly complex character. So it it took a lot of research specifically for people who, you know, dealt with the same things she did or who have the same um, sort of personality. It's not traits. It's, I, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but, but you know, the people who have something in common with her. But let's say from the, the beginning of the book, when she's going into the training and they're depriving her of food and they're only feeding her sweets and fruit and things like that. Well, that is actually based on real life uh, thought manipulation techniques that they use all the way that they're repeating things over and over again and sort of, you know, taking off, you know, eliminating their names and giving them numbers and depriving them of protein, which is needed to both access stored memories and form new memories. Like every, all of those things, they're all based on research. And, and I don't, you know, I don't say, you know, sort of like Tom Clancy. He drops a bunch of information in your lap. You know, he describes the whole helicopter and how it operates. I don't like to do that, but I like to, to understand it. So that when I'm writing it it's consistent.
0: So talking about research, right? Because um so I took a master class with David Baldacci and his like the man showed one of his binders for and it was one of the binders of wow. the for that one book. And the thing was like yay thick right um because this particular story was about like a a military individual and so he you know he spoke to a lot of individuals in dc and got a whole lot of information right and so i want to talk a little bit about that because you know we're fantasy writers so yeah for someone like me i can just make stuff up all the time right (laughs) you know when it comes to the magic system when it comes to like transportation how anything works i can just make it up make up new languages, go off the seat of my pants. And then it's like, Oh, well, how did you come up with all this stuff? "Eh, I just picked that out of my brain, you know? Yeah. But like, um, what does that research look like? Like, are you involving interviews with other people? Are you just like Googling all of this stuff? Are you, you know, calling places and like having them share this information with you? Like, what does your research process looks like? Because it's, we're kind of like learning, you know, even though we're fantasy writers, you can't just make everything up. Like you got to
2: research some stuff. So it's kind of all of the above. Um in my Hero of Darkness series in the the second book he meets a character, a young boy who has something called William syndrome, which is sort of um an extreme trust, sort of naivete, so they don't understand that the world, you know, could mean them harm, so they end up in super vulnerable situations. So I actually called uh the William Syndrome Foundation to get direct information from them. Okay, here's the character that I want to create. Here's what I was thinking. Um what sort of things should I you know, include things like that um, in my latest, the novel that I just finished writing last week. I wanted to include a pansexual character. I know nothing about that, so let's go talk to somebody who understands pansexuality—not only someone, but someone who who writes about it, a writer who is pansexual and includes it in their books. And so, getting things like that, asking now, if you were reading a story about someone like you, what would you want to see? and then once they once they share that, saying, "Okay, now, how could I portray this accurately and and really, that for me that 's what what makes it real is is giving these people a chance to say what they want to say, and then taking it into account and obviously, I am no one to share you know to, to give insights into all of these things but if if writing these characters in in a small way." is sort of giving voice to these people, then for me, it's the greatest thing that I can do as a writer is Is helping someone because I don't understand all of these things, all of these people. I don't understand half of what's going on in the world around me. So if, if through my stories, I can better understand them, like if I can understand this sniper who gave me a lot of information, well, then I understand maybe a few hundred people, maybe a few thousand people in the world who have those similar experiences. And then I have a better understanding of the world around me. And so I do that for myself so that I can share it to the reader and help the reader understand people better.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's our kind of, if if there was a calling we had as writers, I think that would be it just like helping people understand people and I think that's also something that makes us more empathetic towards people and helps us with our empathy is the fact that at least for me I know that when I'm in different situations, it's just really fun to think about. Okay, what well, is this person over here? What is their perspective? What are they thinking? What is their their background? How did they grow up? What are the different the key moments, I guess, in their lives that really impacted them and changed them, make them react this certain way versus this way? And it's really interesting. It's fascinating.
2: And it's it, we literally spend our entire time writing doing exactly that every conversation that we write is you know the the point of view character but then we've also got to know what's going on in the head of the person talking to them and then we've got to know how everything they say you know reacts because we've got to carry on both sides of the conversation and so the more we sort of dwell in that as my brother loves to say the more we pickle in that <laughs> um the sort of the more we get used to the idea of putting ourselves in other people's shoes so we can think about what that person sitting across from us you know yelling their anger why are they doing that like you said you get to empathize with people way more than I don't think I ever would have been as empathetic a person as I am had I not been a writer
0: Yeah, that's really, really good, and I'm liking that we're pointing this out, right, because sometimes we can forget, you know, especially when a writer maybe gets, like, bogged down with their story or, like, just the process in general, like, I just feel like sometimes it's because that aspect of the writing is taken out, where we forget, like, Yeah, we're creating these characters and we're having fun, but we're also really teaching people, right? Like people come to stories, not just for escapism, but they come to learn how to be better as human beings and how to show up in society better. And so I think that's really cool. And, you know, we've talked a lot about character and really development, you know, and what about your worlds, right? Because obviously our worlds shape who we are, you know? Like if I see your environment, if I see who you hang out with, if I see what it is that isn't part of your daily routine, then I know what kind of individual you are, you know? And sometimes people can be so much better had they been placed in a different environment, right? And so let's talk about the world because, you know, you do love these more off-kilter kind of like outcast types of individuals and highlighting, okay, like I came from this rough life, now I'm placed with the Decision, will I choose to be better, or will I keep going the way I, I know how to go and so when it comes to world building, like how do you develop that to really enhance these individuals so that they can grow and develop
2: you know i think I think I have to say my world is shaped based on my characters, depending on who the characters are that 's what gets included um, so from my Silent Champion series, uh, the last one I was working on, military fantasy, one of the characters, is this big you know, friendly looking, smiling kind of guy. You know, he seems pretty normal. And then over the course of the story, you learn that he actually grew up in the slums of a big city and he had to do some pretty nasty shit and his sister died and all kinds of stuff. And so the character was developed by these things. So then, okay, he grew up in these slums. Now I have to write these slums in, you know, things like that. It's what it's, it evolves according to the character's needs and of course the setting needs as well you know you've, you you want to have some beautiful breathtaking settings to set those epic moments in but then you also need to have all the other kinds of settings you know when you've got a character doing dark shit sometimes it's fun to throw him into a muddy alley just as much as you know a rooftop somewhere or you know a nobleman's ballroom whatever whatever the 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 mood in a way of the seed it sort of shapes the story and then whatever the characters need and how they've developed at least the way that I that I write it it's just sort of what's the what's going on according to the characters
0: yeah no i think that's that's really cool because i know for me i tend to which I'm actually working on that because I tend to approach my world building from such a macro perspective. Like there's all of these mountains and hills and they're going to go fight over here and there's dragons over there. And I realize, and sometimes like I do that and I pull back and I'm like, Oh, but like, you don't really kind of get like into the head of the character and you know, they're lost. And so many times I have to pull back and rewrite because there's so much world but like no one to root for in that world, So then I'm like, oh, this is like really a disservice. So I think that's pretty cool that you base the world building off of actually the character. And I think like, that's a huge takeaway for our listeners. It's like, you know, as your character is growing and they're facing these different decisions that they have to make, you know, different parts of the setting can enhance that. So I think that's pretty cool.
2: And it's a, it's a really hard balance to find. Uh, some of my series have just, you know, complex worlds and socio-political structures and all of that. And some of them are just kind of vague. Like the... The, the city of Pramise where the Queen of Thieves series is set. You get a few details here and there, but there's no map. There's no super clear delineation because it's not needed. You know, so much of the story takes place in the underground or on the rooftops or inside the, the place, you know, where, so you got a few little things here and there and that's all you need. Whereas for my military series, you know, if an army needs to be a thousand miles away in two days, well, you need to make sure that that thousand mile distance is impossible to go, you know, so you you have to structure things a little bit more, sort of depending on the needs of the story.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good. And um, if your website tells on you correctly, you've been in this game since 2014. So you've been going at this for quite some time. And so just throughout, you know, Things have changed um, in the past six years, a lot. And so a lot. I'm just wondering, um, as far as like being successful, cause you have so many different kinds of stories, right? Like a lot of authors kind of like find the one thing that they're good at and they kind of just stay in that vein. Whereas you're kind of like, Oh, well, I'm going to try them all. And they're all well. So, like how have you been able to find success with so many other authors seem to, especially right now, seem to be struggling, right? Um, Struggling to get their books out there, struggling to actually be profitable, struggling to actually keep their readers' attention for longer than a book or two, you know, in their series. How have you found profitability and success as an indie author in spite of what's going on with the masses?
2: All right. So that's a super complex question that a lot of it is just like, like luck, you know, let's be honest right there is a lot of it is luck. But so from, from the, the part that I can control is the story, right? I can control the story and I try to make sure that the reader is 100% connected to the character or as best I can. You know, the, the main character's struggle is super relatable. They're, you know, they're emotionally the kind of people that you want to get behind or that I want to get behind because, you know, I'm kind of the only one who can, who can, who I can write for. You know, it, but if I, if I agree with what the character's doing or I can empathize with their struggles, I feel like there's going to be a lot of people out there who can do that, right? So making these stories as character-driven as possible is really what makes people say, yeah, I'm going to read the next book because I have to know what happens to the character as opposed to, oh, I have to know what happened to the kingdom or, you know, what this, what this you know, religion where it ends up going. You know, like so much of it comes down to I need to make sure that this character is okay. Like I, I make sure to, to end every single book with some holy shit moment or as best I can. Um, so that it's like the character is in mortal danger somehow or something bad's gonna go on so that the reader's like, all right, now I need to make I need to make sure he or she is okay so I can sleep easily. And that's how, you know, that's how you get them into the next book. But then things like the professional editing, working with an editor who I know does a good job. Um, it took me about two years to find an editor that i felt very very comfortable with and who i knew you know would always deliver a good manuscript give me would kind of kick my ass a lot uh make sure that i did better you know on scene some of the best scenes in my books are things that he suggested writing in and so then i sat down and i sort of followed his suggestion and the scene came out really good and it sort of enhanced the whole story um but then once the editing is done, the truth is that it's never going to be perfect. There's always going to be mistakes. You know, no matter how many rounds of edits it goes through, something's going to slip through the crack. The beauty of being an indie is that you can literally go change it, re-upload the file, it's done. You know, um, so so not worrying so much about, like, typos and things like that. Obviously making sure that there are none, but then accepting that there are going to be some and just, you know, correcting them as I get them from the readers. Uh, covers is a huge one i will honestly say i do not have an artistic flair at all so i see the covers i like the covers people are like ah eh, you know not so great oh they're amazing i'm kind of just banking you know I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best let's say i would love having like an art director who could just say you know here's the cover for this book it's beautiful be done but you know that's not how life works so um and then when I, when I first released the Hero of Darkness series myself in 2018, I did a rapid release where it was one week apart from book one and two, two weeks apart from book two and three, three weeks between three and four, and then four weeks between four, five, six, and seven. So doing that, like there was a lot for readers to really sink their teeth into because I had already written and published books one to three and four was written and edited. So it was like that helped me get, the, get that sort of spike. Um, but then after that, it's just been being as, you know, working as hard as I can to write more books, uh, make them as good as I can release as consistently as I can. And then researching the ad platforms of Facebook and Amazon, which really are the, the number one thing that drives sales, no matter what else there is out there. Those two things are the number one drivers of sales.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's all really smart. And going back to what you said about kind of your work schedule, where you have Monday and have a Tuesday that you spend doing more of the, of the business stuff. I think that is so smart because those are the days that you can spend doing stuff like the ads and, you know, everything else that goes along with marketing and emails and just all of that fun stuff. And I think that's so smart because a lot of authors tend to get bogged down in that process of it and working on the business versus just enjoying time writing. And so it's really smart to just really break that out. And just to echo you, yeah, Facebook and Amazon, it's like nothing else works. (laughs) I mean, other things do work, of course, but like, those are the main things. Like I was just looking at uh, one of my books that's doing really well. And I was like, it's because it's of the
2: ads. Like people see it. And so they're just off running just to pick it up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things, I love Facebook ads more than AMS because there are allowed comments and you can get people to like your page and you can inter- interact. I have so much fun interacting with people, especially like trolls and shit posters. They come and they drop, they drop like nasty shit on my posts. Um, you know, people come like uh, my assassin ad gets a lot of them uh, one of the the people who i i hired off fiverr to do some art he sort of basically ripped off um, a magic the gathering character so you get people say you know they come and they and they shit post it or um i mentioned john wick in one of my ads and they're like oh we hate john wick or it's just a rip off spawn or something you know they they say that. and so it's so much fun for me because then i get to engage with them and not not fight back I get to say, oh yeah, this is amazing. You know, oh, you love Spawn. Like people, they'll say, oh, this sounds like a rip off Spawn. It's like, yeah, I love the fact that you caught that reference between these two. You know, I, I loved Spawn so much that I tried to do it, you know, like the best way I can. If you it liked works, it, you'll works. enjoy it. And it, it, it works. I've had people who say, you know, you know oh man, I'm, I'm sorry that I, you know, I shit posted you. Um, I've gone and picked up your books now. And now I'm a fan, you know, things like that. I love being able to do that. So for me, Facebook ads, is 50% sales, obviously, but 50% being able to interact directly with people that I would never have been able to interact with otherwise.
0: Which is more than sales, right? Because now you're turning them into evangelists. Absolutely. You have these people that will now be in your corner forever because it's like, oh, I came at you with this insult and I, you know, I thought my shade would throw you off. And it's like, oh, we're friends now.
2: Hi, Andy. (laughs) And then diehard fans too, you know, like, like it's the the step they've interacted with you. You start talking with them, you know, what they like, what they like reading, you know, and then they're like, you know, fine, I'll give this book a try. They like it. Uh, Some of my greatest story ideas have come from fans who said, Oh, you know, I I, I liked this. Uh, What if you did this? Like I literally spent an hour last week the other night uh, talking to a fan who was like, so I came up with this idea for the Silent Champions, my military series. And I was like, well, you know, it won't really work, but what if, what if I did it in the future Hero of Darkness books? And so it just turns out, and this, this thing that the character added in makes the story that I'm gonna write like 200% more badass. And you know being able to do that to connect with him, I would never have connected with him without facebook ads so so for for people who are thinking about running ads, I recommend facebook over a m s in that for that sense alone. You get a lot more uh you can spend more, which means you can reach more people it's harder to track, but with that interactivity, it is i would say it's worth its weight in gold or book sales. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And then you do a lot with engaging with fans. Like you have podcasts, you have groups that you run, like you do a fantastic job with that. Just really focusing in on being more, I guess, more like fan-centric, more reader-centric. Um, what kind of, I guess, tips, recommendations do you have for authors that are just kind of starting out and really want to make sure that they are, I guess, thinking fans first when it comes to social media?
2: That's really tough. I think at the core of being an author is our love of books, right? Um, what, what, are, what are the books that got you ladies started into writing fantasy?
1: Oh, I was obsessed with Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, and The Hobbit, which my dad read out loud, and he did the voices. And so I think just whenever I think about The Hobbit, like I can just hear my dad doing the voices and the songs, and it just gets me all excited.
2: See how your face lit up? You went into that whole thing because it was tapping into this memory, right? Stephanie, what about you?
0: Okay, so don't judge me, but it was um, the series of unfortunate events with Lemony
2: <laughs> Nice.
0: <laughs> and then later on, um, definitely The Mortal Instruments by Cassandra Clare. I am a grown woman, decades later i am still obsessed like i can't i love it and i'm part of the fandom you know so it's like we get to just talk about these characters like years later still absolutely love and it's awesome because it got me reading but then it also got me writing so i'm like double win
2: (laughs) and that's the beauty of this is that everybody out there who reads is like us in some way or another. I will talk, you know, The Lies of Locke Lamora, Scott Lynch with anybody, anytime, because it's so awesome. And being able to share this love of reading and then segueing it into my love of writing. Like, oh, you liked, you know, how how the bond between Locke and John Tannen was so awesome. Well, I loved that too. You know, it made me really think about my approach to characters. And when I wrote this series, it it shaped the way that I approached that. Or I loved the cons, so I knew I had to write a thief. Um, the book that got me writing my assassin character is called The Night Angel Series. And it's a trilogy about this badass assassin, you know, magical dagger, sort of immortal, 40 year old, give or take. And it was exactly what I wanted in a character at the time. I loved it, but the focus was so much on the younger character. And when I realized he wasn't gonna write any more books, I was like, I'm gonna write my own. And thus was spawned, The Hunter. You know, so all like being able to share with people your love of something that they love just as much, is the thing that, that bonds them to you initially. And then of course you have to talk about, you know, your writing and your stories, but then when they, when they see you less as the name at the bottom or, or top of your book, wherever you put your, your author name on your cover, um, when you're more than just a name to them, you're a person that they can connect with. That makes you so much more real to them. And then when they see that you've written something or you've got a new book out or you're doing a deal, they'll be like, Let's give it a try. And often that's enough to just hook them for life.
0: And so talking about some tactics um, that I know like authors will like to try, like giveaways and things like that, um, as far as like we can market and we can engage, you know, through comments and stuff like that, but what do you find are some other ways as far as like long lasting engagement, right? Like I know um, for some of us, we do, you know, like, hey, I'm writing this, this book, let's all write it together. Like, you know, what do you guys choose? And then I'll write from the, you know, the perspective that you guys choose. I know uh, Angela is in episode two, no, not episode, season to um, with her serial, I'm still in episode one, I know some other authors, author friends who are doing that as well, and so uh, for someone who's listening, and they're like, you know, I feel like I've exhausted all of my ways to keep them, like, engaged, you know, people aren't answering emails, and they're not opening them, or they're not commenting back on posts and things like that what would you advise would be like some things to try um as far as like keeping readers engaged because there's so many ways you know but i'd love to hear your thoughts
2: um i ask a question mm. that's that's kind of all it is uh, every email ends with a question i shape sort of the newsletter to lead them toward a question that i want to ask obviously there's other content in the email um that you know that 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 i'm you know i'm sharing my perspective on things um let's see the last email that i sent oh the last email i sent out was so i just got back from a trip across the border i am now quarantined at home for the next 14 days what should i read well give me your but your top three recommendations and i got you know 50 to 100 emails off of that or for my sci-fi newsletter i asked them You know, um, my character's a sniper, but he's not always going to be using a sniper rifle. So, you know, should he use an assault rifle, a shotgun, choose your weapons, basically. And I got, you know, emails back from that. Or I'll post to my, um, just now I posted to my author page, Andy Peliquin, on Facebook. um, You know, what are you looking forward to getting off your TBR list or reading through now that you're, you know, self-isolating, stuck at home with more time to read? And just get comments like that. Uh, just any kind of questions like that that gets people talking and then you you answer back and you begin a conversation and it's a genuine conversation. You don't sell your books. I don't think I I sell my book in any of these conversations because these people, they already know who I am. They know I write books. There may be a time when I say, you know, let's buy my book. But for now, you know, it's like 80% of the interaction should just be genuine human interaction. Like you're talking with a friend uh, you know, over a cup of coffee or, you know, now through video chat because it's all we can do. <laughs> but but really that's, for me, that's what it is. It's just that genuine human interaction. So my Facebook group, I think I've got maybe 20 or 30 fans who are very, very engaged. The group is about 600 strong, but most of those people never comment or like or anything, but that's okay, you know, because I get to talk with the ones who who care. And so every time that I can, I post something somewhere where people will engage and just, just connect with them more and more every chance I get.
1: Yeah, I think that's awesome. And that makes a lot of sense because when you're asking the question, it really invites people to talk about themselves, which people love to do. So it's, it's a win-win and then you're sharing something that you can bond over, which is awesome.
2: Absolutely. Like today in my book rec- or the book recommendations email that I got pretty much every single one of those emails included a book that I'd already read whether it was the Lord of the Rings or the Belgariad or the Malazan whatever it is and so I can say oh I loved this book and it made me think of this or I I liked the series and it's what led me to writing this character and so being able to relate it more and more to to my life my writing my but then it it it's one more cable that connects me to them essentially
1: yeah and people don't forget that that is amazing exactly well, I wanted to ask one more question before we wrap up today. Um, I guess, what would be your advice for authors who are, I guess, in the trenches? They're, they're writing books and they're, they're getting them out there, but maybe they're not as inspired as they w- would like to be. What advice would you have for them? Mixing it up today.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I would say nine times out of 10, push through. Because the next chapter, the next writing session, the next scene... The next book, you know, whatever it is, there's always going to be something that that hits you and motivates you. Pretty much every single book, there is a part or two where it's like, I don't want to sit down and write; it's too much work. I don't know exactly how the story is going to play out, so it's stressful. It's, it's I know it's going to be a huge emotional investment, and I'm dreading it. So I I feel like that too. Um, only one time in my entire author career have I stopped a book mid book because it was too difficult. Until that moment, I would have said there, I will never leave a book undone. I will always power through and finish it. But that book felt like a slog in the wrong kind of way. It was it was pushing in the wrong direction. I was just writing because I felt like I needed to write as opposed to really getting into the story. So I, I stopped. I took four months off or three months off that story and wrote four other books that just like came out super fast the first the first three four books of my sci-fi series i wrote that between september and december of 2019 because the story was just so much fun i got this new character i got this new world i got this you know snipers and spaceships and ai and all kinds of fun stuff right that that brought back my love of telling a story and that doesn't mean this you know the the story was any less deep there you know like i said drug addiction paraplegia all these kind of things and then when I sat down to finish that book in January of this year, um, I had stepped away. So when I sat back down to work, it wasn't as much of a slog. So I was able to finish it and, and doing so actually made the story so much richer. Like that was the book, this one that I came back to. I broke down at the, at the final scene of the book because it was such a dramatic scene. And I think if I'd sort of shoved my way through the story and brute forced it, I wouldn't have been able to come up with this scene that is just so viscerally intense. So nine times out of 10 push through, but then be aware that sometimes it's better to step back and move on to something else for a little while and then come back refreshed.
0: Such sage advice. Like (laughs) it's so good because it's true. You know what I mean? Especially for people like, that's why we dance through like two stories at a time. Sometimes, you know, like you work on one, knock it out, Put it aside for a while. Go work on the other one. Come back because when you're fresh with it, then it's like, oh, I can do so much more with this and make it so much better. But Andy, you are awesome, my guy. Like, you are awesome. Thank you for coming on and just sharing so much value. I mean, I know our audience is definitely going to get a lot from this. Thank you so much for you, Angela.
1: Oh yeah, this is awesome. And we can't wait for people to listen to it and leave their response. And we'll include links to your books and your website and the show notes so that everyone will know where to find you.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. I hope I didn't talk too much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Never. The journey to becoming a full-time author on your own terms doesn't have to be lonely or hard. We have an awesome community where we chat daily, write together, and motivate each other. To be part of this vibrant community of indie authors living their best bookish life on their own terms, go to indieauthorlifestyle.com forward slash inner circle for more information. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love to hear more from you. Leaving a rating or review helps us to create more great content like this. Be sure to rate this episode and subscribe to the show. Thanks for listening to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. See you inside the community.